Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Eight. I am very pumped and excited over the next few weeks as we are launching a brand new series here called Say What? I feel like I gotta say it that way. Uh, so I'll be saying it like that for the next few weeks. But Say What? And the subtitle of this series is Understanding Why We Do Not Understand Each Other. Understanding Why We Don't Understand Each Other. As I was preparing for this series, everything was beginning to unfold in our country. Just seeing the racial injustice, the inequality, the, 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 the protests, the riots, all that was beginning to unfold I was preparing. And one thing was very clear. There is a lot of miscommunication. There is no communication. There is a lack of understanding. We are unable to embrace the reality that every single person is the divine child of God. And this is the baseline of what's causing a lot of friction. And what's everything unfolding is because of a lack of communication or miscommunication altogether. It's clear that we do not understand each other. If you look at many of the issues that we have in this world, in, our, in, in marriages, and in relationships, at work, whatever the case might be, miscommunication is at the base of a lot of the issues that you and I have. Miscommunication seems to be the root. Actually, there was a recent study that showed 90% of the issues that we have in our workplace, 90% of, of the issues that we have with coworkers, with clients, with our boss, with associates, the, 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 the baseline issue is miscommunication. 90% of the issues that exist in the workplace are due to miscommunication. Communication. I, I know you know this, but I'm, 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 uh, I'm just mention the obvious as we get things kicked off here for the series. Miscommunication is not just about what was said or done. Mis so, sorry, communication is not just about what was said or done. Communication is not just saying what was being said, but it's also about how it was heard. It's not just about delivering content, but how it is interpreted, right? You get this. Like we say something and someone misinterprets it and we say, well, I didn't mean it like that or that's not what I said or that's not what I meant. So communication is not just about how it's, of what's being delivered. It's how it is being received as well. You know this as well. The very fiber of our being is relational. The very fiber of our being is relational. We are designed by our divine designer to be in communication, to be in relationships with others, right? We're, we're not called to live an individualistic life. We're called to be another. This is why many of us are kind of struggling throughout this entire pandemic is that now there's less social interaction. There's less of that personal touch. So we're feeling it. Why? We are designed to be in relationships. And this is also true on how we find life toward God as we try to pursue the fullness of life in Christ. Everything we do is communal, right? When we come to, 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 for, for a liturgical service and, 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 and embed ourselves into church life, we're not coming as individuals saying, my father who is in heaven, hallowed be, no. There's a plurality to everything we do. We're greeting one another. We're, we're abiding with one another. We, we, we say, we declare our mission statement, our, our creed, that we believe in one God. We declare in, in, in a plural form, in a communal form, one designed to be in relationships. But when there are relationships, there is communication. And when there is communication, sometimes there is miscommunication where we do not understand each other. 
even if 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 you look at even what what Jesus came to to to, to tell us to to lead us to life, many things that he said and and the early apostles, including Saint Paul, uh, who wrote a, a good portion of the New Testament, what was clear is is how we are called to find life. For us to pursue life, that we need to esteem others, uh, lift up others. We need to love others. We need to encourage others. There are so many commandments of us to blank each other. Like there's, there's so actually, it's over 100 times. I'm not exaggerating. Over 100 commands that are given to us to find life in Jesus. That we are called to love one another, esteem others. So it involves a relationship component. Like the the the, uh, the essence of over 100 commands that are in Scripture involves us to to it, it re- requires a relationship to each other. This is how you and I are wired. Just, just the anthropology of how we are. We are relational beings, but that comes from God. And it requires us to be able to, to strengthen our relationships with one another. And that also involves for us to tweak how we communicate with one another as well. Before we go any further, I want to show you this video. It's a sensitive issue, a sensitive video, and it's kind of tough to watch, but it points to this reality. The way we communicate and the way we address how we feel has a generational impact. Not only affects us and maybe a relationship, uh, a current relationship that we have, either with a, with, a, with a child, a spouse, a partner, a coworker, whatever the case might be, it has an impact even beyond our lifetime. The way we communicate, the way we understand each other or misunderstand each other has a bigger impact than we think. Check this out. Ben, you forgot to bring the trash can up again. Oh, sorry, I was just I don't see why it's so hard for you to remember. You have to bring it up every single Tuesday. What, did you walk right past it? Come on, you don't even have that many... What is this? I was just, uh, drawing something. Well, clean it up. I will. No, don't just say you're gonna clean it up. Do it. Just, let me just finish. You can draw when you're finished with your chores. Right now, it's not time to play. It's time to work. Do what I asked you to do first. Come on. Listen. There's no need to cry. There's just a right way to do things. Do you want to do things your way, or do you want to do things the right way? The right way, I guess. All right. Get this cleaned up. Now. Hey, are you all done? What's wrong? Did he show you the comic book he was making you for your birthday? I think it was supposed to be a surprise. What he knows he's supposed to do is chores first. You know, I just have so much work to do right now, bud. I just really don't have time to play chess, okay? It will only take five minutes, come on. <laughs> I know chess. A good game can go on for hours. Well, no, it's not chess. I completely, I completely made up my own rules. Come on. Uh, why would you want to make up your own rules? I mean, chess is a great game. Look, uh, the instructions are right here. Just, just look at that. Get you there. No, but Dad, I'm, I made up the entire game from scratch. Just let me show you how to play, okay? Chess has been around for a thousand years, okay? 
Now there's a strategy and order. Changing the rules defeats the whole purpose of the game. Look, I'll show you how to play really quickly, but then I have to work, okay? All right, first of all, Wait, what are, you, what are you doing with those? No, don't throw them away! It's just a bunch of paper, bud. You need to learn how to play the real game. Oh, and those? Are you kidding me? Uh, uh, let's see, yeah, these aren't set up right. And I worked on those! And uh, that was so hard! Look, this is a rook, okay? It moves forward or backward, but never diagonal. Are you listening? Uh, this, this isn't... This isn't very fun. Well, we haven't even started yet. <laughs> I know, it's just that regular chess, it, it, it's so boring, and I liked my way better, okay? Well, you can't just make up your own rules. I mean, there's just a right way to do things in a right order. Now, do you want to do things your way or the right way? The right way, I guess. You know, my way seems to be right to me. All right, now this is called a knight. Hey, now, Charlie, the... grab your stuff. We don't want to be late. What? You're... Leaving already? Yeah, we've got, I've got to do this in the camp. We've got an hour's drive ahead of us. How many times did you play his game? Isn't it so much fun? He's been working all day on it. Okay, say goodbye. Bye, bud. That was a tough video. It's a lot to swallow. But I think a lot of us can relate to that in some way or another. That the, the way we communicate now or how we deal with conflicts now will naturally impact those who will come after us. The baseline of these three talks that we're talking about here at the eight uh, for this series is coming from a workbook called I Said This, You Heard That. I said this, you heard that. The title is kind of self-explanatory. So this Christian counselor kind of works through the whole idea of, of, of why I say certain thing, but then somebody else misinterprets it and they end up saying like, well, I didn't mean to say that or, or you misunderstood me. So the whole idea is to, is to kind of remove some of that friction that occurs when we're communicating or dealing with a conflict. You can get more out of this series. You can understand more of each other or how we can understand each other a lot better if we understand ourselves first. This has to be the driving force for us to understand how we are wired, our innate wiring from God. This has to be core in order for us to understand other people or for other people to understand us. We have a personality, which is something that evolves, believe it or not. We have a personality. But there's another part of our core called our temperament. Our temperament. Our temperament is our natural wiring. And it affects what you say. It affects how you say it. And it affects how you hear other people. It affects what you say. It affects how you say it. And it affects how you hear other people. This is, is very old. This comes back from the time of Hippocrates of him talking about our temperament. So this is our hard, hard wiring. This kind of explains the why we do certain things. Our personality is like our what and our temperament is our why. So what is like when someone hits me with a conflict, I check out. I run the other way. That, that might be the what. But why? Why do I, am I doing that? 
Am, am I in, like to that my my temperament is the why? So this workbook kind of works through that. So if you're needing some type of push or want to do this as a group, uh, this assessment, there is a summer group here at San Mark uh, Church that is doing this. So I would encourage you to check out the church website if you're interested in signing up for that as that starts in a couple days here. So again, all this is based on this book called I Said This, You Heard That. And we have to understand our temperament. We have to understand our, uh, basically our first language. We have to understand our core wiring in order for us to understand ourselves and understand other people. The whole idea of why the temperament is such a big deal is that it removes the gray area between what I said and what you heard. It removes some of that space. So if I understand my temperament, I understand maybe my spouse or other people that I'm in common contact with, if I understand their temperament, maybe it removes some of that miscommunication or that friction. It kind of minimizes the chance of me kind of saying, say what, what did you say? It minimizes some of that friction if I understand my innate wiring, and maybe if I understand yours as well. Let's get right into uh, an issue. Criticism. If you have lived on earth for more than 30 seconds, you've had criticism in your life. If it's been constructive or not, you've had to deal with criticism, all right? I for sure have dealt, I deal with it uh, on a regular basis. It's criticism, all right? So all of us deal with that. If you, if you are in any aspect of life, it doesn't matter. All of us have gotten criticism. If it's been healthy or edifying or, or approached in a healthy way or not, we've all been criticized for something. Maybe something we did or didn't do or something we said or maybe something we didn't say at all. We're always being criticized. Our natural response when you and I are criticized is Fight or flight. That's our natural response. And this is built into the wiring of who we are. Like this is into, in, built into our biology, built into our immune system, is a fight or flight response. When I am criticized, I'm either gonna put my hands up and I'm about to say, well, it's because you did this, I'm about to, to fight back, or I'm going to fly the other way. I'm gonna say, I'll check out. All right, this happens on a lot of common marriages where both people just kind of check out. They check out mentally, emotionally, psychologically from each other. They're done. So th this is a common response. Our natural reflex is this fight or flight, and this is built into our hardwiring for us to naturally wanting to respond this way. But let me say something about criticism. When you and I are criticized, and, and I know you know this. I know this sounds elementary. But listen. Listen to the criticism. The question I ask myself, and I want to ask you, do we really listen? Are we really listening when criticism comes our way? Or are we just thinking of the response to get back at them? Are we really listening to what is being said to us? Okay, I, I know we have two ears, one mouth, we listen. I know you know that. But do we really live that out? Do we really, do we really intentionally and actively listen when someone's talking to us? You and I know listening like really listening, we know it's hard, right? We're always just thinking of what to say next. Listening is really hard. And the church knows that as well. Every time we come together in communal worship and for liturgical services, before we abide in hearing his word that gives us life, that nourishes us, and that edifies us, before we hear timeless truth that can refine us, before we read scripture, the church gives us a very mini prayer, a, 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 just a very segment of a prayer right before we read the gospel, where we say, okay, we want to hear 
this word and we want to act on it. We're praying that, Lord, we want our mind to be a little bit open and receptive to what we're about to hear. I want my ears to be a little bit receptive, and I want to hear it, and then I want to act on it. So this is our prayer because the church knows it's kind of easy to hear something and let it go the other ear, or we kind of twist it to how we want to hear it. But we say a small prayer for our heart to be open and receptive to the nourishment that we're about to hear of this timeless truth, which comes from the life of Christ, for us to hear it and for us to apply it. You and I know it's hard, and the church knows it's really hard. Believe it or not, behind every criticism, if it's constructive or not, there is 1% of truth behind it. There's 1% of truth behind it. Maybe we don't want to admit it, but there is 1% of truth, regardless if it was said in a healthy and wise way how it was approached to us or not. There is 1% of truth. The challenge I want for you and me, are we really listening? Are we wanting to hear what is being said? Even if, even, forget, yeah, they said it in the wrong way and they shouldn't have said it that way. I get it. I, I get it. But there's still 1% truth to it. Are we listening to what is being said? The author of the book of Ecclesiastes, his name is King Solomon, someone who desired to be the wisest man on earth. Uh, this is a Jewish literature found in the Old Testament of, of the Bible. And this is what King Solomon had to say. Uh, listen to these, these time, this timeless verse and this is true uh for today and for all of time it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools it is better for me to hear someone who has wisdom, someone who's maybe a couple steps ahead of me in life, someone who's been there and done that. It's better for me to hear words that might edify me or refine me. It's better for me to kind of be a little bit receptive to what they're saying in order for me to avoid a, a trap. Because even though I like to think my situation's unique, someone's been in my posi position before, someone's been there. So if I'm able to hear the rebuke of someone who is wise, that will edify me and prevent me to have, uh, to make decisions in life that I'll regret later on, if I'm able to, to, to hear their rebuke or to hear their words, man, it's better to hear that than to hear someone that's just always praising me and telling me the right things. I'll tell you the truth, as a priest, I'd rather have someone come and tell me. If, I'm, if I really want to be edified as a man of God, I, I, I would rather have someone tell me, hey, you shouldn't have done this, or you should have said this, or you should have, I, I would rather have someone tell me that so I can become a, a, a better child of God and for, and for me to align myself with what God wants in my life. I'd rather have that than to be just surrounded by yes men all the time. Someone says, yes, yes, Father Nathan, you're right. You're always right. I agree with you. I'd, I'd, I'd rather have someone that refines me and corrects me as opposed to someone just giving me the fluff. Of course, we, we need encouragement. Of course, we want someone to praise us. I get that. And, that, and we need that for our self-esteem and, and for, to build our confidence. I get all that. But I don't need to be surrounding myself with that all the time in, in, in which I'm so blinded and I'm unable to rebuke myself or to correct myself in anything. Some of us need to surround ourselves with more wise people that maybe can refine us a little bit better. There was an early Christian by the name of Didymus. His name is St. Didymus. And the title that the church gives him is being called St. Didymus the Blind. St. Didymus the Blind. And as his title is, he was a man uh, basically born blind. When he was age of four, he went blind. Uh, but he's a scholar, theologian, very wise uh, church father. 
he was actually Coptic. He was Egyptian. Uh, his ethnicity, he was Egyptian. And uh, many scholars say that he was the head of the seminary school in, in the school of Alexandria uh, uh, around the year 398 AD. This is his meditation, his commentary to the verse that we just read about us hearing the words of wise people as opposed to just being surrounded by people who just says yes, 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 yes to us. This is what he had to say. It is the characteristic of the wise man that he criticizes the one he loves. It is the characteristic of the wise man that he criticizes the one he loves. The characteristic of someone who is wise is to give that wisdom. It's not just to keep it for themselves. It's to say, hey, you know what? Listen, I made it. You'll be better off if you don't make that decision. On what, and at any at any department of life, any part of life, if someone's able to give me that, this is what they're called as wisdom. They're called to give that out. It is the characteristic of the wise man that he criticizes the one he loves. If it's coming out of genuine love, if it's coming out of authentic love for that person, he should be able to share uh, wisdom. The flatterers, the flatterers sing in a certain way, even when they give ethical speeches. They want to make their audience happy instead of looking out for their best interests. Such song is a speech that gives joy, but a rebuke helps one to find the right way. What is St. Denimus saying? saying? There's going to be flatters. They're gonna give great speeches and just, and just make us feel nice and, and warm and good inside. But in reality, long-term, that's not what we need. It's better to have someone that would edify us, that would rebuke us, and to line us back up into the right way, as St. Didymus says. It's better for us to find that than to someone to give it. Listen, we all fall into, and we all want to lean in that path, right? If I, okay, this is silly, but let's say, like, I really love to eat Snickers for breakfast, right? I don't know if anyone eats Snickers anymore, but look, whatever. Let's say I want to eat uh, Snickers for breakfast every morning. That, that's my breakfast. And if I get an email saying there's a webinar of that, that, that shows the health benefits of eating Snickers for breakfast, I'm, I'm going to sign up for that. I want to look for some, some webinar. I want to find content that's going to solidify what I believe in already. That's going to already lift me up, already praise me of what I want to believe. What, right? I would rather have that. I'd rather surround myself with fools that tell me what I already want to believe as opposed to someone who refines me and lines me up back into the right way. It's better to surround myself. We all do that all the time, right? We naturally lean toward wanting to surround ourselves with people that are just going to just tell us uh, what we want to hear as opposed to someone who maybe we need them to rebuke us. Here's a question that maybe it's hard for us to, to really ask ourselves this question. Who is your critic? Who is your critic? Who's the one who can, out of love, come to you and give you constructive criticism? I happen to be blessed to, to live with a great critic here, uh, whom I love dearly in this house. But do you have a critic in your life? Someone had, out of genuine love, who wants to refine you, can come to you and kind of give you words of wisdom and, and, and kind of correct you, maybe on a, on a blind spot of your life that you can't see. All right, do you have that in your life? Okay, don't, don't, don't jump into like a spiritual father, somebody that maybe you sit one-on-one -on -one with you know, every couple of months. But do you have someone on a regular basis that, that can refine you, that can kind of correct you and bring you back to the right path? Do you have that in your life or not? Why this is critical. Our human nature is we want to kind of be in our own little way and do what's best for us when we think that. That is 
beyond true right now in society with hyper individualism being so toxic in our society that you do what's best for you, your truth. I say it all the time because it, it just it's flooding America all the time. You do what's best for you. You do your truth, right? So my mentality is wanting to do what's best for me. So then I naturally lean in that direction, which in reality, in order for me to be refined and for me to be better at life, maybe I need someone to kind of tell me, well, you know what, Father Nathaniel, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you shouldn't say that. Maybe, maybe you should apologize. Maybe I need someone that tells me that, as opposed to surrounding myself with people that just tell me what I already want to believe. Here are two difficult questions that I asked myself this week as I was preparing, and I want you to ask yourself these two questions as well. Do I surround myself with people that tell me the things I want to hear? Do I surround myself with people that just tell me the things that I want to hear? Second question. Do I twist a narrative for what I want? Like if I'm sharing with someone a story of something I'm struggling with, do I paint the picture? Do I, do I, do I describe the narrative of what occurred or what is happening in my life in a way in which I am the victim all the time and the other person is, is, is the one that's wrong? Am I, am I always painting the picture in order for them to say, oh, you know what, you're right, Father Nathaniel, you're the one that did right. Am I want, so that way, yeah, I feel good about myself. Am I wanting to that? Or do I really need someone to kind of rebuke me? What, what really is my motive? Do I have someone that corrects me in that way? Who is your critic in life? Who is the one that can maybe refine you and kind of correct you along the path and you with a humble heart and mind are open and receptive to what they're saying because it's coming out of love. So probably about seven, eight years ago, uh, in the first couple of years of, of, of my wife and our marriage, uh, let's say we had a, a kind of a, uh, a heated conversation, if you will, and um, you know, we needed some guidance on, on how to communicate, all right? I mean, if, 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 you, if you, your first couple years of marriage, everyone can agree, is not, not, not the easiest, all right? So our, our spiritual mentor, our, our priest, uh, gave me advice that still sticks with me to today, and I've told many of you the same thing. He told me this, you need to put a pillow on it. You need to put a pillow on it. I'm like, what on earth does that mean? He's saying, when I speak, when I communicate, when I criticize, if you will, or I say something to my wife, to Sarah, I, I'm, I basically, I'm just stabbing her with a knife. I'm kind of just telling her to how it is. I tell her, well, you never respect me, or you never do this, or, and I'm always telling, I'm always kind of just stabbing her and I, with, with a knife. What, what, what my priest was telling me is that I need to put a, a pillow around the knife. I need to think of a better way for me to, to, to rebuke her, if you will, I mean, lack of better words, or for me to, to kind of refine her. If I want to tell her something and I wanted to give her constructive criticism, instead of me just kind of throwing it out here, I need to maybe just follow, I need to, to put a cushion around it. I need to put a pillow around it. King Solomon also said this in the book of Proverbs, which we can relate to. You get this as well. A soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. But the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. But the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Another way to look at this. When I'm wanting to give advice to someone or criticize someone, maybe a softer word than criticize, I don't know what that would be, but if I'm wanting to kind of offer something and for us to be, I can bring something out of love to, to someone, 
if I'm criticizing, let's just go with that. Let's go with the word criticize. If I wanted to criticize someone, am I packaging it in a right way, in a wise way, and me addressing it? Like, for example, like, let's say I'm, I'm wanting to address something with my wife, and I say, uh, you never respect me, okay? That's one way. I can kind of just, just put it all out there. You never give me respect. I can put it that way. Or I can say, hey, Sarah, like I know like a lot's been going on lately. I know you've had crazy long hours. But I feel lately like, you know, we need to talk things out better. That, you know, for, for us to, to have better communication, I feel like I'm, I'm not, you know, respected all the time. Now, all of a sudden, I'm packaged it together. I'm not being political, but I'm, I'm packaging it together. This model, many counselors would say this is called a sandwich model. Sandwich model is where I'm putting the, 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 what I'm wanting to, to deliver, the content being that I'm not respect. That's the meat. But I'm also cushioning it with lettuce, tomatoes, bread. I'm, I'm packaging it together. If I do this, she is going to be more receptive to what I'm saying as opposed to do, doing the whole fight and flight response. She's not going to put up her fist the second I, I mean, uh, not literally, she's not going to, but you know, figuratively, she's not going to be defensive when I come to her with what I want to share. I should come and, and share what I want to say. But at the same time, I need to make sure that I'm approaching it wisely, as King Solomon says. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So if I'm coming with harsh words, of course, then all of a sudden, the emotion of, of where the conversation goes, it's already, it's it went to zero to 100 really quickly, right? Because anger has already been fueled just the way I opened up the conversation. I opened up the criticism, opened up how I'm feeling. So I, I need to approach it a little bit better. And you can apply this to every conflict, every criticism that exists within all our relationships is that I need to know that. Of course, it helps if I understand my temperament and their temperament. But if I'm able to, 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 to know how to package things intentionally and make it communal and says, I feel this. No, I can say, you know, we need to talk things out. Now I've made it a we thing instead of a me thing. All right. Because just putting me, 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 that's divisive. It can be interpreted as just being purely selfish. But now if I'm making it communal, then this is what Allah says, hey, we're both on the same team trying to work this out. Now there's a plurality to how we are resolving this conflict and how we're talking as opposed to being divisive. And then she says, say what? And then there's miscommunication and things kind of blow out of proportion. I want to end with this. One of my favorite early church fathers is by the name of St. John Chrysostom. He was a bishop uh, in modern day Turkey in Constantinople. Such an eloquent speaker, such a gifted communicator. And actually, he was very passionate about social justice, extremely passionate about equality in the world. Um, and so should everyone who follows Christ. All right, so this, this is just a reminder for all of us. All of us should be the ones to fight and protest for equality in this world. This is what St. John Chrysostom said around the year 380 AD. Let us guard our mouth constantly. Let us guard our mouth constantly set reason on it to close it, not for it to be constantly closed, but for it to be open appropriately in season. There are, time, there are times when silence is of more value than speech, as likewise speech more than silence. This is the reason why that the most sage composer said, a time for keeping silence and a time for speaking. He's, he's quoting uh, King David. He's quoting the Psalms. After all, if being open at all times was necessary, there would be no doors. While if being closed was required at all times, there would be no need of a guard. I mean, what would you guard if things were closed up? 
Door and guard are for this reason. However, for us to use each at the proper time. I know you and I know this. There's time for us to speak and there's time for us to listen. But this series is a reminder for all of us and how we can be more intentional in the way we articulate a conflict, a criticism, and maybe how we receive criticism. Maybe for us to be a little bit more intentional of how we listen, of how we respond, of how we deliver content, of how we deal with, with any content that we need to communicate. For us to be able to understand each other better. All right? Let us bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we know that any type of relationship is hard, and it's easy for us to misunderstand each other. But Lord, give us the, the humility and grace to give the other person the benefit of the doubt, for us to come with humility to understand each other, for us to hear each other, for us to be wise on how we come together with our to come to each other with our criticism, for us to be refined and for our, 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 our ears and our mind to be open when critics come our way, for us to find it with a humble heart, for us to find life in it, and for us to hear each other out. Lord, you have designed us to be relational beings, and for us to find life in relationships. Lord, I ask that we can see you working in every relationship with every argument, with every conflict that comes our way, and for every criticism that comes our way. Lord, that we can be wiser on how we deal with conflicts, and for us to ultimately understand how you have wired us. Because if we understand how you wired us, Lord, this is how we can become better communicators and lift up others by our words. Through the prayers of St. Dinimus the Blind and all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, everybody. If you have not already and are interested, make sure you can sign up for the summer group online uh, on the church website. Uh, and this is where you can find out your temperament by doing this workbook. Have a great week.